Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to John Anderson Direct with Matthew McConaughey. Today I'm joined by Matthew McConaughey. Now, he's perhaps the most recognisable guest that I've had the opportunity to have a conversation with. Uh, And he starred, of course, in a a heck of a lot of blockbuster movies over the years. In 2014, he won the Best Actor Award at the Oscars for his role in Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, He's made a lot more movies since then and along the way. He's become known as a generous philanthropist, particularly through his Just Keep Living Foundation for Teenagers. He spent 2020, which was a difficult year for all of us, very productively. He published his autobiographical reflections, Green Lights. And I have it here, and I'll say straight up to the Aussies who are listening now, uh, that Matthew spent a year in Australia, and it was a very formative year, but we'll come to that later. Uh, He recently uh, did a fantastic conversation uh, with our good friend Jordan Peterson, Uh, where Jordan brought out the man's humanity, and I'm hoping we'll see that again today, Uh, because Matthew is a guy who has a big voice because he's been a star. Plenty of stars around Matthew with big voices, but some of them you don't want to listen to. Yours is authentic, uh, and you display an earthiness, a grittiness, uh, a reality, and a generosity of spirit that I think we're looking for in this gilded age. Anyway, anyone who's uh, read you or works, listened to you over the past 12 months, They know you're a deeply reflective man. You love your family, you love your country, and indeed, uh, uh, in the the back page of your own book, you said of your book, it's a love letter to life, even though you know how tough life can be, uh, and many of your listeners do as well. So can I kick off? Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Can I ask you, what, what did it mean, not for your career, but for you personally, when you won that Best Actor? Oscar in 2014. What did it mean? It meant to me that I had validation that I had become a craftsman, that I wasn't an expert, but it meant to me that I had married self-expression into art, that I used this word with you earlier on uh, before we got started. It meant that my work was translating. It meant that I had put some work together, that I, my intentions were clear, what I wanted to do, I was clear on what I wanted to do, and there was no gap between what I wanted to do and what I did. Now there's what I did, and then what gets edited and what gets put in front of you. There was a very small gap between what got edited and what, what was put in front of the viewer. So the viewer and my peers saw my work, and they said, it really translates. Boy, that is a excellent, we deem that an excellent performance. We saw humanity through the performance of playing that role, Ron Woodruff, who was done by Matthew McConaughey. So it meant those gaps between, we have gaps between what we want to do, what we actually do do, what gets edited and what gets, what people receive. There could be gaps between those. This was proof that, hey, you got rid of a lot of the gaps. 
what you intended to do is actually what was received. And that gave me great validation and confidence that I said, oh, you've now become a craftsman because what you put together and what you intended and what you hope people would see and feel is what they saw. And they saw themselves through your performance. They saw humanity through the specific performance. And that meant my art translated. It made me feel uh, validated by my peers that the work I set out to do and the years of trying to lower my handicap, as I like to call it, using a golf term, in my acting career, that um, it was tangible. It was proof that it was that what I was working on was actually I was I was fulfilling. I was I was pulling it off. So it's a question of, uh, or a matter of authenticity. The real person's coming through, and that's reflecting back to those who are watching. Yes. Real life. That's part of it. But there's a part of it too that seems to me to be intrinsic to your makeup. You're, you're prepared to make yourself vulnerable, not for self-indulgent reasons, but because there's nothing more powerful than one human being opening up to other human beings with all of the attendant risks and just being honest. I hope so. I mean, I, I tried to. I'm still working on that daily. Was I the most confident actor I've ever been to that point with that performance? Yes, sir. Confidence. I had courage to go. Um, I trust myself to go all the way and see this character from the inside out, to to not judge this character, to not judge myself, to be 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 have that healthy kind of fear that I had every single day at work when I went to go perform and be Ron Woodruff. To see, to have the courage to actually see, not that I was playing somebody else, that I was playing those parts in me that we all have. And that's, I think, sort of a fallacy of people when they when they think talk to actors or artists. They they think, oh, you do really good and you're you're true when you're playing that other person. No, it goes a step further. It's when you see that character you're playing, you see those traits in yourself, and you're not afraid to turn up the volume on that part of your own vulnerability or that part of your own struggle and to lay it out there. Um, because, you know, I know when I've done my best work, when performers do their best work, they're not playing somebody else. It's going through us, the vessel, the actor that's given it to you, the artist that's given it to you. And it costs, when it costs me more, and I was not, not afraid to go, I'm, I'm willing to pay that cost. I'm willing to go there and not judge it and lay it out. That's when I'm, I'm, I'm a better performer. That's when an actor does a better job. So in part, what I think I hear you saying is that courage is not knowing no fear or avoiding challenge and, and, and fearful situations. It's overcoming them. Absolutely. This, you know, we had this slogan go through um, America. I don't know if it made it to Australia. But years ago, it was a it was a, it was a T-shirt. It said "No fear," and it was like a, a motivational slogan, like for "Go get them, no fear." I always saw that shirt. And I was like, "Bullshit, no fear." What are you talking about? You yeah. better give fear a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, and then, can you step up to it? Can you become involved? Can you go? Ooh, yeah. Am I scared? You damn right I am. Um, now watch this. That's the. That's where life happens. Is the is the trying to overcome and how much fear will we embrace and say, I'm going to take it on. I'm not going to out endure it. Um, that's, it's the overcoming. That's, that's where life's, the, that's the verb. If you say there's no fear, well, then you're just in denial and you're foolish because you're damn right, you should have some fear. Now there's good fear and I think there's bad fear. We can be, we can be fearful sometimes of illusionary things that were like, don't be, there, there ain't no boogeyman under your bed. 
it's not worth being fearful of. But there's fear and stuff we do every single day. And I know, like with that role and my performances, when I'm scared more, uh, but I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to dive in this proverbial pool. I don't know what I'm going to get into, but I'm trusting that I'll come up the other side. Let's go take the adventure. That's that's the kind of fear that's also fun. Then I'm having an experience in the role. Then every day I'm coming home with a buzz. Of, Woo, I think we pulled it off again. We're still in the game. Well, that's gold, it seems to me, because, uh, you know, you can adopt this attitude. And we hear this term now when you're raising kids that, that parents try to snowplow all obstacles out of the way. In reality, we all know fear. And it's a question of whether it conquers us or whether we conquer it. Yes. It can be a driver for us to find freedom yep. or it can take us into a very dark and locked up place. Yes, uh, that's what your life discovery seems to have uh, in many ways been about. In many ways, I hope so. I mean, you know, let me say two things on this. I was raised in a household that there were consequences and discipline was based on you had real consequences. And in my house growing up, it was you got the belt. My parents said, we're not going to ground you because that's taking up your time. And time is your most valuable asset. So just bend over and get it over with. I was never injured. It was actually looking back. I'm like, wow, that was great. It was over. There were no grudges. But I know and I have friends and parents that go, yeah, but that fear based tactic, that sort of Old Testament fear based tactic, it's not healthy. And I was like, Let me tell you something, man. I feared my dad and I respected him. And I'll tell you this. There's a lot of things that I did not do as a child growing up that I should not have done for fear of the consequences. It kept me out of a lot of trouble because I was like, "Mm, risk versus reward, man. I'll take passing on this one because I fear if I get caught, what will happen? So fear was healthy for me in a lot of ways. Now, I use this as the term I use today with raising children. And again, I've got 12, 11, and eight. I haven't raised my kids through adolescence in their teen years, so I'm no expert on this. But I, I do think this analogy is a good one. How high is the limb that our children crawl out on in the proverbial tree in life? How high do we let them climb before we go, hey, hey, come on down here, buddy? Because I think our tendency sometimes now is to pull them off the limb Wait, when it's when it's way too early. No, that that fall, if they fall from there, they're going to land on the grass. They may get a bump and a bruise. That's a good height. Let them keep climbing. Let them figure it out themselves. Now, there's a point where if they get way up in the top of the damn tree, we're like, boy, if they fall from this, this is emergency room or worse. You may want to go, hey, buddy, come on down a little bit. Just just a little bit. You know what I mean? Because what kids aren't afraid of heights until they fall. But. They're not going to be afraid of heights before they should be afraid of heights because we tell them, no, don't do that. Because if you fall, you're going to get bumped and bruised. Let them climb high enough where they are going to fall. Let them take that extra step. They, do you think you can make that jump from the boat to the dock? Uh, OK, go for it. Well, it takes one time of them not making it to go, OK, I tested my limits. But we sometimes have a tendency to tell them, no, no, don't jump. It's too far. When actually they're going to make the jump and they may even make it another 12 inches if you let them try. Um, And so I remember the things in my life. I remember a lot more from my experiences. I remember a lot more from my lived out consequences for better or for worse, for pleasure or for pain, than I do what I was told 
by in a book or told by my parents. I, I, I remember the stuff that I they let me find out for myself to a certain extent. You tell a story in the book of um, uh, a mum and a dad who, on the one hand, appear to have taught you a great deal about life, about love, about uh, you know how to learn from your experiences, and they gave you uh, a great capacity for love. That's the impression I get from the book. So I'm just yeah. you can bounce off that. At the same time as you'd say it wasn't a perfectly nor a sort of um, uh, picture-perfect biscuit tin type relationship and home environment. So I get the impression that you learnt from the things that didn't work so well and you learnt powerful lessons about, about love and focus and, and life as well. It was an interesting upbringing. Yes. Um, no, it wasn't perfect. And like, you know, what, what family is. I mean, my parents were doing the best they could the way they knew how to do it. Have I updated my version of parenting to my kid? Yes, sir, I have. Um, do I just have more longer discussions and debates with my children about things than my parents have with me? Yes, I do. Um, we all know as parents that saying no is a hell of a lot tougher than saying yes. It costs us more time. It costs us more follow-up. It's a lot easier to just say, yeah, go for it, do it on everything. Um, my the one there was one thing that was never in question in my family, and that's that we were loved. Um, yeah, right, got it. it. There was just no question, and I saw you that knew you were loved. Knew it, never questioned it, and I yeah. saw that example through my mom and dad. They were divorced twice, married three times to each other. Well, what one in the end? Their love, three to two. You know that was a great example of can't live with you, can't live without you. But we saw that they could have knocked down, pull a knife out, fight. That ended with them making love on the kitchen floor. Now, I'm not here saying that, oh, that was a, an appropriate thing for me to see at four years old. But whatever it was, it ended on the upside in my eyes. <laughs> whatever I saw, I saw the love win. I saw yeah. the union win. And I saw that. And it's the reason I think I tell, I get asked this all the time. Why do you tell these stories of, 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 of the violence as your love stories? And I thought about it for a while. And I believe why it is. And why when people ask how did my family love each other, I tell these stories that make people put a hand, their hand over their mouth and go, oh, my God, oh, no. You must need, I would have called child protection services, or you must have had a lot of psychiatric help through your life, Matthew. I'm like, no. So I tell these stories because that's when the love was tested the most. Yet, nothing ever had a chance of really beating the love. It was never going to, it, it could crack, it bent but it was never gonna bend over or get broken. And so I saw their love get tested, but never get beaten. We had it in our family. Um, the discipline was quick. I don't remember any of the pain from one butt whooping I got, but you know what I do remember? I'll tell this story. I came home and I lied about stealing a pizza. It's in the book, for yeah. All you, for all you kiddos out there, <laughs> if you ever go out and do something like steal a pizza and you get home at night and your mom or dad asked you if you paid for that pizza, it's because they know you didn't. All right. So, so no, they, they know you didn't. Well, I came home and dad goes, you still, you paid for that pizza. I'm like, well, I mean, I think, you know, I was outside then Bud, my friend, he's inside. I think he knew I was groveling. He gave me four chances to tell him the truth. He knew I had stole the pizza. On the fourth time I said, well, no, I think we did. He backhanded me. Now, it was a light backhand, but I went to the floor, crumpled in the corner, weeping my eyes out. 
Did I go to the floor because of the force of his blow? No, sir. I went to the floor because I was standing on some lactic acid field coward ass legs because I knew I was lying to my dad. I don't remember the pain of the shot of his backhand. What I remember is the pain and the look on his face where he was distraught going, come on, buddy. And his mind, and he was going, what have I done? I haven't raised my son well enough where he can tell me the truth. I haven't raised him where he has the courage to tell me the truth. Tell me, um, I've noticed over the years that a lot of the people who go on to do something extraordinary and amazing with their lives, uh, you know, really have had, I guess you'd say, complicated and even traumatized early lives. You think of an example like Churchill, you know, he was a lonely kid. His dad never connected with him. He bombed out of school. And yet he became the greatest defender of freedom of the last couple of centuries, really. Um, and you said something really interesting recently. You said there's a difference between me saying I'm a victim and saying that I choose to be victimized. I think that was pretty significant. I'd, just, I'd love you to say a bit more about it. You've refused to claim any victimhood status because some of the rougher things that happened. We'll, we'll come to your yeah. time in Australia in a moment. It wasn't such a happy time either. But uh, uh, you've refused to make it part of your identity. Uh, and I think that's right. really profound. I, it strikes me that just about everybody could point to something in their lives that's gone horribly wrong and they could claim victimhood status out of it but I'm not sure it's ever a very helpful thing to do. I, if it is a helpful thing to do, I haven't seen how and why it is. Um, we are all victims every day. Then we have this independent choice of, and that's what I mean when I say early in the book, when faced with the inevitable, get relative. Well, inevitably, we all are victims from time to time. But the relative choice is, well, now it's still, now it's my choice. Do I choose to be victimized by this? Do I choose for this foible, this crisis, this hardship, this pain to take over and define how I, what my identity is and where I'm going forward? Um, and I've been pretty resilient. Maybe it's a lot of the resilience my, my, my parents taught us uh, that was helpful to me. It, and maybe that was also part of childhood, of seeing my parents in violent situations and seeing the love went out where they were like, oh, that didn't, that isn't what they became. Um, they, yes, that was a knockdown drag out fight, but they weren't, my mom never even chose to be victimized. She was a victim. My dad was a victim many times, but didn't choose to be victimized. It I don't see the upside. I don't see the ROI, the return on investment on, in ourselves in being victimized or playing into that. It, the, 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 I, the, I see the return. If, if, if we choose to be victimized, if that's our relative choice after we've been, after we become a victim and it's inevitable, I don't see the way forward there. I don't see the way out of it. We can still get help and other people can help. It doesn't mean if you say, I'm not going to be victimized, it doesn't mean you're putting yourself on an island and you're not going to get some assistance or some help or you can share a problem. That's not what it means. It's just sometimes when we say I'm victimized, we lay down and nobody can really help any of us unless we sit there and go, I'm, I'm, I'm starts with me. I got to do the work here. 
I'm quarterback in this situation. I'm quarterback in how I'm going to feel about this. Now, some would argue, yeah, but that's denying that you were a victim. Or that's denying that the truth. No, it's not. I'm not denying the problem. It's what I mean in the title of the book, Green Light. And I say every red and yellow light eventually turns green. My dad dying was a big red light in my life. Now, very soon after his death, I noticed, ooh, there's some assets to this. The man that I was trying to act like I was, now I better start being, because I don't have the crutch of my father behind me. I don't have the safety net. So you better step up, Matthew, young man, and start looking the world in the eye, because you've been kind of subconsciously relying on your dad having your back if the proverbial SHIT hit the fan, and now he's gone. Does that deny the red light of my dad dying? Does that deny the pain, deny the loss? No, it doesn't deny it. And it's also not foolish optimism. It's not a Hallmark card optimism to go, hey, it's not see the glass half full. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's constructive work that can be done. And if we're leading it forward, why don't we do the work that's going to pay us off more in the long term? And to say I'm victimized, I don't see where the ROI is in that. I don't see where it is really for, I haven't seen it proven really for, for anybody. You can still make change. You can still change things so that maybe that doesn't happen again to you or someone else. And still say, yes, I was a victim, but might as well get started with the proactive work of moving forward and to, 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 to fix yourself or say, hey, that thing's not going to define me. I just don't see the, the value in the alternative. And you can say that with authority because you've thrown off what could have been an opportunity to claim victimhood status. And yet at the same time, the things you do for other people and your commitment to philanthropy indicate the fact that you're more than willing to recognise that some people have had it tough, some people need a helping hand. Yes. It's not that you lack compassion, but you can nope. speak with authority on this because you don't just walk, you know, talk the talk, you walk it as well. And, and that comes through very clearly in your writings as well as what you're saying. So you're well, not denying that a lot of people no. do it tough. I'm not You're doing just that saying, don't lock yourself into a mentality that says, oh, woe is me. Everybody else owes me. No, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> please, don't, please don't do that. I, we, just had a, we just had a big Weird Texas benefit for the winter storm Uri that came through. And a lot of people with that electricity, the pipes froze, et cetera, et cetera. One of the coolest things about it was the people we were helping we're all doing what they could to help themselves. It was more gratifying to give to someone going, hey, I could use a helping hand here. Now I'm not, I'm, I'm pulling my own bootstraps up over here, but yeah, I've been knocked down. But I'm not sitting back going, come pick me up. I could use some help getting up, but whether you come out, I'm gonna keep doing this. And damn, if you help me out, <laughs> it's gonna help me out a lot. That's different than trying to help somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. And there are a lot of people in the world all the time that need help. If we're in the helping out other people business, we got great job security for the rest of time. But that doesn't mean that, 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 those, that those people want to go, okay, so I got to sit back and do nothing. It's actually a disservice to, to, to the people that are the victims sometimes. Um, that, that they don't want to, help themselves. And sometimes people can help themselves, but if they even have the want to, that, hey, I, you know, I, I, I just, if you can help me get on this first, if I can get one solid step forward here, if I can trust my footing, 
you've got me started. That's all I need. Can you help me get that so I can trust, maybe take step two later on? Thank you. Um, that's a lot more constructive. And I think not only fair to the giver, but more fair to the one receiving the the time or service that, that you give them. Because um, then they can take ownership in it yeah. as well. They take ownership in the rehabilitation. They are the they are the they own their agency. Things matter more. I, in our in our in our um, just keep living foundation, we help out Title One school high school kids, young men and women, who are in a lot of single parent homes, fifty uh, percent uh, dropout rates, lower income places. After year three, I came up with the idea of I want to I want to tell these young men and women that if you're in our program, you have to do community service in your community. And I was nervous about it. I was like, geez, this is the first time I'm calling them to task. They may buck. You know, we give them, they, they uh, uh, reach exercise goals, nutritional goals, et cetera, et cetera. But boy, now I'm going to call it on them. It's on them. I thought 50% of the, of the students might say yes to this. And then I thought the other 50% would balk. I was wrong. 100% loved it. 100% got up at 4 a.m. to go pack things off to send to the troops. 100% would get up in the morning to go clean the beach at 4 a.m. And I was like, would I have done that when I was a kid? I wanted to sleep in on Saturday. Well, what it was, that accountability gave them ownership. Yeah. They weren't just on the receiving end of, oh, I've got this great class and they got great cliff bars and they got cool exercise equipment. But now that I put them and said, no, you got to be accountable, you got to give back, they needed it. They were voracious about it. It's their favorite thing because now they have ownership. Now they walk, their head got lifted a little bit more because this they're not just they're not get, just getting a, a free pass, a free ticket to to the show. They're having to pay an admission. And they want to pay it because now they have ownership. So going back to when you were young, you came to Australia on a rotary exchange. Yes, sir. Uh, and you write very frankly about it. It wasn't uh, a universally wonderful experience. Uh, you write, yeah, I was forced into a winter, forced to look inside myself because I didn't have anyone else. I didn't have anything else. I'd lost my crutches. No mum and dad, no friends, no girlfriends, no straight A's, no phone, no truck, no, in inverted commas, most handsome. <laughs> and I had a curfew. It was a year that shaped who I am today a year when I found myself because I was forced to. It was a pretty formative time and, and often, often uh, you know, the darkness is deepest before the dawn. It sounds like it was a pretty important year, even if it wasn't a lot of fun. And you've got this ability, it seems to me, to grow through the tougher times, and, and that year sounds like it was a very important one. Can you tell us a bit about it? The, the Australian listeners will be particularly interested in this. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I come over there, I'm, I'm in high, I finished high school in, the, in, in, in Texas. Now, my family, when you turned 18, the reins were off. You were free. It was like, if you hadn't learned it yet, you're not gonna learn it. So man, I was rolling. I had a job, I had made my straight A's, so mom and dad were happy. I was dating the best looking girl at my school and across town. My car was paid for. Um, I had cash in my pocket. I had a four handicap in golf. I had freedom and I had no curfew. Talk about green lights. Woohoo! I was an extrovert. I was popular. I was athletic. Things were rolling. So my mom comes up with this idea. She knew I loved to travel. She's like, what do you come to exchange to? And it was between Sweden and Australia. And I said, like, 
well, Australia, they speak English. And shoot, I might meet <laughs> Elmer Pearson on the beach. <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> so, so, I mean, a week later, I'm on a plane uh, headed over there. Now, the family I, I met had said, hey, written a note, said, hey, looking forward to having you. Uh, we're living here just on the outskirts of uh, Sydney. Uh, can't wait to have you. Well, we got there, and the outskirts of Sydney turned out to be about three hours away and inland. Um, I didn't have it, – it was, it was a strange time for me. One, I'm trying to figure out what I was about, who I was, who I was not. There were some things that went on that I thought I kept tabbing up to cultural differences. Oh, that must be a cultural difference. I've got something I need to learn here. And I remember I had, uh, I, uh, at the time, I didn't think I was losing my mind. But when I look back, the math says different. <laughs> I was, I created these disciplines for myself. Now looking back, I know why. I became vegetarian. I was running six miles a day. I was uh, um, celibate. Um, and the reason I created those disciplines that I now know looking back is that I was spinning and had no compass and had no anchor. My feet weren't on the ground. I felt so lost that I had created disciplines every day just to, at the end of the day so I could check that off. Something I did. Yes, I, that's, that's tangible. It's permanent. I did that. I achieved that. Check the list. Okay, that gives me a sense of identity. Something happened uh, about four months in where the family wanted me to call them mom and pup. And up until that point, all the things that I thought were strange going on, I was always like, ah, I don't think I agree with that, but maybe I do. Maybe it's a cultural difference. But when I got asked to call it mom and dad, it was clear. It wasn't an intellectual thought. Clear to me. Thank you, but no thank you. No, I've got one mom and dad. That's the only person I'm calling mom and dad. So I was very clear. No, we'll not call you that. I will call you by your, 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 your first names or Mr. and Mrs., but not mom and dad. It was very clear. It was like... That gave me such identity and strength to have something without having to check with my own mom and dad or friends to go, hey, is this what I should decide? But to have the clarity and the judgment to say, that won't fly. I've got one mom and dad. That's not negotiable. Um, gave me a sense of self. It gave me a sense of stance, two legs to stand on. Um, it gave me agency. I still, I still stayed there for quite some time. I wrote 14, 15, 16 page letters to my friends, but mostly to myself. <laughs> and I would return <laughs> letters to myself <laughs> with an, another 14 page letter. So I was still spinning, but I was forced into the Socratic dialogue. I was forced into the long days and, and the night of going, you have no other option. Now, I've been asked, but why didn't you just come back home? You read the story, people go, geez, I would have come back home. No, before I left, I didn't sign a contract that said I wouldn't come home like the Rotary Club wanted me to do, but I did give a handshake on it. And I had a bit of pride that I think I got from my dad in, li in, in, in living up to that handshake. And so coming home to me was never an option. So once I said, that's inevitable, Matthew, you're not going back. That's not an option. Relatively, I said, must be a prize at the end of this. If I can endure this, if I can go through this sacrifice, I just got, I, I got a hunch that there's something in it for me on the other side. And my hunch was correct. Well, uh, I'm glad you're happy to talk to an Australian now, but of course <laughs> it wasn't just you that got benefited. You, you mentioned then you started keeping uh, notes and diaries 
yes. reflections. Uh, and then um, in due course, you pulled it all together and went out into the desert for 12 days and uh, started to write it all up with the support of your wife. Uh, and now we have the book. That was a, an interesting thing to do. See, I, I think history is unbelievably important. And what you've done in this is that you've not glossed over or revised it or tried to make it ship, suit a, a, a current purpose. You sought to draw the lessons out of it. You've, you've sought to be honest with it. And President Macron, in this age, you know, from France, in this age when um, everybody's wanting to revise history so that they can justify their view of the world now with all of its evils and all the things they want to change, Macron says, you know, you've actually got to know your history. You've got to be honest about it before you start trying to take the lessons out of it. Yes. Um, I mean... That was part of the fear of me going to write the damn book. I was like, I threatened to go off with my diaries for 15 years before I got the courage to do it. I, I, I feared embarrassment. I feared shame. I feared guilt. I feared seeing times where I was an arrogant little, you know what, Mr. Know-it-all kid. who I'm like, oh, how embarrassing. Gee. And finally, I was like, well, let's go look it in the eye. Let's go look in the eye. Maybe that's because I've come to a time in my life where I felt and trusted myself enough to go. I got the courage to go look back at, at who I was, even though I don't like looking over my shoulder that much. And I went away and I noticed, yeah, I was embarrassed about some things, but I also was able to laugh at a lot of those embarrassments. I was ashamed and felt guilty of certain things, but I was noticed that, hey, you either already forgave yourself for that, have changed your habits, or I'm going to forgive you now. I noticed times where I was the arrogant little you-know-what, know-it-all. But you know what I noticed on those? Very soon th after each time in my life where I thought I was little Mr. The Punk Know-It-All, I ended up in a position where I got humiliated. And in looking back, what I noticed, I was like, oh, well, if you wouldn't have had, if you would have been so cocky, you might not have had the false confidence enough to put yourself in the arena to get humbled like you did. So <laughs> even that arrogant little prick was a green light. <laughs> Again, victim, victimhood victim victimized. I lean more to the don't erase, edit. Edit, but don't erase. Yeah. Our, our flag, your flag, every country's flag, every, every family crest, we talked about my, the, the, my family, everyone, no one's family's perfect. We've got scars and rips and the threads thin. And there's burn holes and, and, uh, and all of our banners of identity. Well, that doesn't mean you, you get a new flag. <laughs> it means you get this, the sewing kit out. It means you, it means, it means you come on, you, let's go repair some things. It's still the same flag. It means you, let's stitch it up. Let's look at that and what did we learn? Let's, ooh, that burn mark there, that's a scar. Well, that's a scar, that's a, that's a badge of honor. Let's look at that and say, that's where we've been. This is how we can evolve. Let's not necessarily knock everything down. Let's become new monuments that go right next to them and are taller. No, we can learn back from that. How do you know what you, what you, what, what's right unless you've done wrong? In personal life and in, in, in people in general, we've got to give ourselves room to grow and be human. Um, now, I'm not saying, yes, come all ye tyrants. No, 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 that don't fly. But if you're trying 
And I believe, for instance, like America, I believe America is an aspiration, just like I think each one of us individually. We are an aspiration to be our better selves, to be our more true selves, to be our transcendent self. America's never going to get perfect equality. We've been trying to define that's been trying to define that word for a long time. We're never going to have perfect justice. No place is. But if you keep trying and if the evolution of people, states, families, nations has a little bit of escalation because we keep trying, it evolves a little more. Maybe it improves a little more. That's as good as the game gets because we're never going to get to that place where we go, ta-da, we've got it. <laughs> ah, work's done. Seems to me, as I stop and think about it, um, you know, looking back over your lives individually and indeed collectively as, as free societies, Australia, America, other free societies, um, it's critical that we learn the lessons from the mistakes we've made, the things we've got wrong. That's one part of it. You don't erase it. I think that's part of what you're saying. If you just edit it all out because you want to say, yeah, uh, um, you know, well, that person uh, kept slaves, so they were totally evil. We'll pull a statue out. We'll obliterate it and we'll make our feels like we're the inheritors of an illegitimate society. Yeah. Uh, and then it's much easier to say, well, we're so illegitimate, we ought to lurch in a completely different political direction or whatever. So the first thing I'd, I'd say is that I think we're in agreement that you've got to learn from the bad things and then try and learn from, you know, correct those rather than pretend you can reinvent yourself completely in a vacuum. But the, the other part of it, I know if I, look back over my own life and think about it carefully and I haven't kept I've only kept very cursory diaries but if I were to do what you've done there'd be times when I'd think strike you know I wonder whether that person will forgive me and there'd be other times when I'd be thinking gee I treated that person badly I need to forgive and Jonathan Sachs who died recently the, the chief rabbi in Britain and in the House of Lords he's a brilliant thinker and writer he's been quoted a lot in Australia at the moment it's quite interesting and he said we're in danger in our culture of Forgetting how to forgive. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that a family can't operate, a, a person can't be a fully functional human being if they can't forgive and accept forgiveness. It's a yep. two-way street. And maybe yep. we can't as a culture either. And then you've got the added problem in the social media age. The old saying was forgive and forget. You can't forget anymore because it's all recorded. Right. Somebody will bring it up 30 years later. Well, you've brought it up willingly in a way that's very constructive. But... What are your thoughts on forgiving and forgetting and their importance to... Great question. Um, you can forgive and you don't have to forget. But if someone is seeking real retribution, again, not tyrants. Don't we be fools with our, our freedoms? But if someone screws up and is seeking real retribution, they, they've earned, they, as humans, they've earned the right to say, great, batter up again. I mean, way to come back in the game. You learned you had time to grow. Thanks, you, 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 you see that. Um, I think what, what, what I hear you bringing up, and, and, and this is my version of what I understand, to be, we, we, we see everything as a contradiction. If it's a hot, if it's a topic that has the microphone right now, you said the word illegitimize. It, 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 if someone in the past was a, a, a slave owner, do you just illegitimize and erase them from history? Does it mean 
that they, how much does it mean they were an evil person or how much does it mean that's where they grew up and what they knew or they were ignorant of? Right now, we just go, you're out. Persona non grata. You don't exist. And I think it's unfair to the ones that are saying, no, we the oppressed are saying, get rid of that. No, it's actually more unfair, I think, to the one saying I'm being uh, 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 oppressed. It's a part of that victim victimization thing. So, no, let's shine the light on this. We don't don't make it trend. Don't make it where we can't see it. Let's actually look at it and learn from it. Um, let's have the courage to look it in the eye. Me and you on both sides that we agree. Maybe my ancestor was one thing, and you're the one saying you were the the oppressed. Let's both look at that and go, huh? Well, that's not who I am today. I'm like that's not who I am. you are today. Well, let's go forward here, build our way out. And let's look at that because we don't want to repeat that. Let's evolve from that. That's more constructive. And that's not illegitimizing. It's judging it, but it's not illegitimizing it. It's having some discernment going forward with choices, but it's not erasing it. Um, So the contradiction today that everyone has, I'm still working through this on on many levels, and is that it seems like the default conclusion is that my core belief negates yours if it's not the same as mine. Your core belief excludes me and mine if it's different than yours. And there's no room for the truth that I believe lives in the paradox, that it's an and not or world we live in. It's a two truths can be can be happen at the same time. Two understandings of a situation that are that can happen at the same time. We don't give any room for that for the truth of that paradox in, in life whatsoever. Um, and I think it's a big reason why it feels like sick people are on such extremes right now. Um, you know, when, 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 when our friend Jordan Peterson finds an audience that is primarily young men going, man, this, you really helped me out. Your books really helped me take agency and, and have the courage to tell the truth and it's incentivized me to be that more courageous and that much more truthful. He's not saying since he has, since he, since a young male audience came to him, he's not saying, okay, but this isn't, but, but this isn't for elders and females. <laughs> he's not saying that, but that's what happens yeah, is, yeah. is, is, is you get one, you go, oh, so you must be excluding the rest of us. No, hang on a second. That's not the, the, the success of one idea doesn't negate what, do, what, do we, what, do, where, where does the world get their sense of wins and losses today? Not from me winning. But for me telling you, you're a loser. And I get it and I get a pump, not from my thumb up. I don't have it. Maybe I don't do it. Maybe I'm not doing anything to get a thumb up. But you know, it's going to make me feel better for just a second. Giving you a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. It's a false. Talk about a false summit. That's a false molehill. I mean, that's that's there's just there's no ROI in that. And we're we, we think that that is giving us identity. We think that's success. We think that's a blue ribbon. We think that's a gold medal. We think that's winning. Yeah, George Orwell said something really interesting about this. He said, there seem to be a certain class of human beings who get more of an adrenaline rush and a feeling of pleasure out of destroying other human beings than they do by loving them. And that's demonstrably true, I think you could say. The worrying thing is that there's a lot more of it about today, if I can put it that way. We seem to have lost what I would say was just uh, 
you know, very important sort of cultural route that um, we recognise the worth and dignity of everyone. One of your former presidents, Teddy Roosevelt, made the interesting comment that no one should be above the law. We all hear that. But no one should be below it either. And these days we set up what we would call in Australia kangaroo courts to judge people outside of the normal processes of the law if we dislike them. And we'll make yep. some terrible allegation. And the old idea of innocent and it's proven guilty. And the old idea is if you can't say something decent, don't say it at all. They're just thrown out. We want yep. to destroy. Uh, and um, it's very dehumanising. And it really threatens the cohesion and the workability of our, of our democracies and our freedoms, it seems to me. Uh, and that's where I think you're striking a blow. But uh, I, I think... Um, you said something about um, bipartisan and, I'm quoting you here, see, but I'll have to read it. Um, bipartisan and non-denominational, values are only guiding principles we can all agree on. Not only the guiding principles we can all agree on, they are the fundamental ethics that bring people together. Now that's an optimistic statement, and I see what you're driving at and I share your view, as I look at my own country and as I look at America, as a great admirer of America who thinks it's critically important for global order and freedom that America pulls together, do you, do you see America as irredeemably divided or can you pull it back? You're obviously striking a blow to try and pull it back. Yep. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Can I ask you optimistic. that way? Optimistic. I can't help it, sir. Can't help it. And <laughs> okay. uh, I am optimistic. I... Look, America needs some, we all need to go through rehab, okay, over, over here. And not only over here, but we got to go through rehab. And here's what I mean. We're all, um, uh, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. And I think once we admit it's, it's Kool-Aid, okay? American values are much more common and centrist than we're being told to believe they are. Who's got the microphone in America? Yep. Two of them. And they're turned up loud. And it's yep. the extreme right and the extreme left. Yeah. But I would argue that that's less than total in total, less than 20% of the country. But they got yep. the mic. Yeah. Now, where we agree in the middle, that's not as dramatic. Of, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not candy. Jeez, oh, man, that's like a regular. I want my candy. Well, your candy's on the extreme, extreme right and the extreme left. And they got the megaphone because it sells tickets. Yep. And tells yep. tickets means that's that. what watch it and they're cashing in. So I think we have the, 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 the shade pulled over our eyes where actually the centricity um, and where we have the com where we, Americans meet on the common denominator of values is the majority. It, it actually we, we got the numbers and we're just trying we're trying to get watch it. Watch them. We got the ship and the pirates on the extreme right, extreme left are trying to board the ship and mutinize this damn thing. Now, they're loud and they look mean and they got fangs. But, hey, look around, man. We got them beat eight to one. Don't let them on the boat. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So I think I am, I am optimistic. Now, look, how much is this extreme sort of behavior? And I think it's fair to say, when you use political terms, far right and far left, when is it going to come back to some common sense? When's it going to find its waterline, so to speak? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I think, you know, part of it will be to use the term ROI again, are going to see that, oh, that was, those were sort of vapid, um, uh, 
things that we were going after. I think even this last year of like uh, um, with COVID, people were in limbo. We were at uncertain futures. And so what do you do when you're uncertain? You want something solid to stand on, something to grab. So people ran to the extremes because they had like, there were others around. Oh, we're a tribe. Oh, good, I'm here. I think slowly people are starting to get a little buyer's remorse. I think they're starting to look around and go, I don't know. I don't really agree with these people. <laughs> Wait, that's going a little too far. I don't purchase that right there. I, mean, I think we're going to start seeing some buyers remorse for the people that ran to these extremes because they just don't think the payoff. I don't think the residuals there. I don't think the, 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 it's, it's actually there unless you just want to be a damn anarchist. And that leans into those tyrants. I'm like, no, you get out. Non-negotiable. Not if you're, you know, if you're, if you're really trying to seek being better and understand, we got to understand, talk about if you go through any kind of rehab, you got to understand the value of sacrifice. Boy, we don't like sacrifice. We are a result oriented, give me my now people. Well, come on now. We try to teach our kids the value of delayed gratification, but boy, we don't do a damn good job of acting it out ourselves. And then you got the other side that both sides think they have a license on certain values. Like the, the 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 left thinks they have a license on intellectualism, right? And then the, the, the right thinks they got a license on work ethic. Well, they don't. Neither side has a license on this. The left does not have a license on rehabilitation. The right does not have a license on consequences. The left does not have a license on the value of science. And the right does not have a trademark on faith. Just as the left doesn't have trademark on progress. The right does not have a license on tradition. Just as right now, you add all that up and then you sit there and people think, think on the far right think that every, every liberal is a socialist. Well, the people on the, on, the, on, the, on the far left think that every conservative is a racist. Now. Yeah, uh, you, you've referred to the, you've used the term agency which is a really good term. It means respecting another person's personhood and uh, you know, encouraging them to believe in their own citizenhood and, and what have you. And one of the things that I note about the elites that I find is so offensive and which I think people, that 70% in the middle, I think they imbibe, is this patronising attitude that these technocrats know what's good for you. They don't really believe actually in democracy, a lot of them. They don't believe in the mechanisms that our forefathers set up so carefully, slightly differently in your country to mine, same basic principles though, that are designed to ensure that everyone's voice is heard and respected uh, and that you do get a genuine sort of meeting of, of values and perspectives and priorities. What you've got now is this sort of terribly patronising attitude that nah, you couldn't possibly know what's best for you. And one of the ways we see it playing out in this country, I don't know, and I think it's probably true in yours as well, is in the push to, uh, if you like, shape kids in schools and in the education system in a way that denies the values often of the parents of the children. I think um, there's a profound spirit of uh, anti-democratic sort of uh, sentiment floating around amongst a lot of those technocrats, and it makes people in the middle feel very alienated. I think America could use a civics class. <laughs> right. I think we could use a class on the civics of civility, yeah. which you brought up in many ways, of just expect social expectations. And why? Because, Dan, just be, come on. Because it's decent. That's why. What do we, 
what do we, 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 you know, one of the other Kool-Aids that we drink, retail therapy. So I just think we have to lengthen our, our view of, when I say delayed gratification, which I'm a big fan of that word and, what, and unpacking what that means. And I best understand it and realize it when I look at ourselves existentially is that we're here for this little blip of time and there's been thousands of thousands of years behind us and there will be more after us. So you sit here and you go, oh, okay. We have a short sense of time <laughs> and we don't think about, well, if I sacrifice this today, I'll get a greater prize further down the road. If I sacrifice this today, I'll create more opportunity for my daughter and sons tomorrow. We don't, we don't think about it. We intellectually talk about it, but boy, when it comes to we're in our own rooms, it's like, so which one do you want to do? You want to pay the tithe of, of, of having good character? You want to, you want to, you want to, um, you know, you want to stick to the, stick to the task that you know is the one that's going to pay you back later. Shoot, man, we get in the room. We, we go for the short money. No, bullshit on that. I want, I want my candy now. I'll take it and go. That's what children do. It's what kids do. It's like, you know, it's, you don't, we have to make, we have to understand that we, we got to take greater investment in ourselves. Cause I do think it's personal. And I, and, and, but I think the more, the more we take a greater investment in ourselves, that actually that's going to be the, how we make a collective change. If every more people start looking in the mirror and going, I'm doing this for me, I'm going to try and be better, more true. That's how a collective change happens. I, I think it's just the new frontier of the mind and, and the heart. But right now, Geez, we don't trust each other. And if you don't trust each other, how the hell do you start trusting yourself? And if you don't trust yourself, how do you trust others? You know, this, I heard this quote, 30% of Americans trust their neighbor. Yeah. A the breakdown of curve? trust is a huge problem in our cultures. Huge. And this last year, it's just sparked the fire. It's not like new things happened this year. Things just got exposed because we were forced to go off and be so individualistic by sheer safety. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm an optimist and a fan that people can, 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 can change behavior and that it's not, again, I think the veil is thin. I think we think it's really hard to get to, but I think it's right in front of us. And, um, I don't know that you do that through legislation. I don't know if you do that through policy. I think, I think, uh, um, you, you do it by your own, again, to bring up the word agency, you call it on you call it on yourself. You take as as you take responsibility for yourself. But you also there's a scientific proof. I haven't figured it out how to explain it or show it yet. But that will also not only that not only fill your soul's account, that can fill your bank account longer term. And I do believe that we are far enough down the road as a capitalist society that we got to show that these kind of values can also fill your bank account. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because money's still running the show. If we chase the money, you find, you find a solution. So I'm not trying to go back in and, and be Henry David Thoreau and say, you know, we, don't, we shall live without. But that, I think that ship's already sailed. But we've got to get we got to re, at least rearrange our priorities. And how do we get the things we get at what cost to ourselves, well, if, others? If freedom, freedom, you know, you make that very valid point. I've been a legislator. You can't legislate for values and beliefs and standards in the end. People have got to do what they do, uh, do the right thing willingly, 
Or, and this especially happens when trust breaks down, we bind everybody up in red tape and the price we pay for the breakdown of trust is a loss of freedom, it seems to me. We've got to be prepared to step up, accept agency and, and do more. But I have to ask you one last question, and you might prepare, you might want to play the political answer and completely duck it. When you've done what you've done, and when you've got a big voice that's not just because you've been a staff, I can pay you the compliment, but because you're saying really worthwhile and valuable things that are striking a chord, every man and his dog that you run into will be saying, well, what next? And we think you ought to join this movement or join that movement or run for that office or whatever. Yep. You know, that's the way life works. Yes. There'll be a lot of people out there with good intent who are wanting you to do more. Yes. What now for you, sir? What, how do you see the future? Or is that something you just want to say, no comment? Oh, no, I'd rather not say no comment because it's, it's, it's a top of my mind and heart and has been for the last three years. And I'm working it out. I... I think I'm a natural leader. I think I've got, I think I have tools and things to share that could be, it could be good. It could be a service. Uh, I think I have an, a, a natural knack for inspiring people. Uh, um, I think uh, um, that there's a role in my next chapter that I will be in some leadership form. I'm trying to figure out what that role is at the same time. I need to look right around at the, 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 the currency that I've built for me that is non-negotiable. What currency do I have that I'm taking forward with me no matter what I do? Wife, family, I'm not going to be foolish with the currency I've built. I'm not going to hang it out there and let the bandits and the pirates come in and pillage it. No, uh-uh. I feel I've earned that. And I, it's my duty to take care of that and keep growing those things. Um, as a father, as a husband, um, as a man who's seeking to be my best self and truest self each day. I don't know what my my next embassy is, what my next category is. Um, look, I, <laughs> I love I love good preachers. I love folk singing. I love uh, education. I love inspiration. I love motivation. I love philosophy. I love poetry. I am a version of all those things probably before you would say, oh, you're a politician. Now, you know, politics is something I've said, given some consideration to, absolutely. I'd be a fool not to. Um, I've got to see and measure for myself, is that the right category? Because I'm not interested, and maybe you can end, maybe you can give me some advice on this. I'm not interested in going in and putting a bunch of Band-Aids that are gonna be ripped off right after I'm out. I'm wanting, I'm, I'm looking for le legacy choices, things that, things that can, that can last, that are, do not go out of style, that can change a little bit here and there, but are, you know, natural laws. And I think one of those being values that we can all rely on that going in the storm and in the sunshine, these, these work. I'm not interested in having my bandage ripped off. Um, I also am, uh, whatever I do, I'll take it extremely seriously. If anything, I'd be curious about how the heck am I going to get to sleep at night sometimes? <laughs> you know what I mean, I do not want to work with uh, whatever category I'm in in life. I don't want to work with liars, cheaters, and stealers and backstabbers. 
uh, I don't know. That's not the battle. I, 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 there's enough work to do and work with working with some people you can trust that are going like, hey, let's really go try and make some stuff happen. So my my position, whatever it is in the future, may be as a free agent as I have been now, um, without a political affiliations that because there's 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 great opportunity to make to create good change for people, but there's also constriction and 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 there's a, I have to ask the other question: What are your sacrifices? Me, my family, those things you're talking about. Um, would those be worth it for the for the category of service that 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 I would want to go into? Um, I have to measure those things. Um, and so I'm between that. I'm in that spot now where I'm looking, but I'm also trying to say, hey, look around, right around your feet. What's most important to you? And the answer is going to come to you. Keep keep seeking it, but don't try to make it happen. I'm just uh, um, I'm excited about where. Um, I'm as excited about where I'm going as I've ever been in my life. And, I, and, I, and I, although I can't right here tell you exactly where it is, things are, things are lining up. Well, far be it for me to offer gratuitous advice, but I'll have a stab at just two thoughts for what they're worth. Please. First is when you think of those things you love and you go straight to your wife and your children, and that's wonderful. Part of the equation is thinking, can I help secure a better future for them will we still be free and prosperous and open in 2050 uh, and can i make a difference towards that end because that's loving them too even if it brings right. an element of risk that'd be just a thought the other yes, one sir. i want to say to you is you talk about working with grafters and you know uh, wannabes and people with less than pure motives and what have you you know, you've got street cred now, so your mere presence is going to drag the best out of them and get them to at least try and put aside or hide their own selfishness a bit. You, you can raise the tone because you've got the street cred by the work you've done, you, the fact that you've made your vulnerability. Anyway, look, I shouldn't offer you. That's only meant to be encouragement. That's all no, it is. Please, please do. I, I'm, I'm listening and, and looking, and I, and I appreciate your <laughs> words and your opinion, and thank you. Um, I've enjoyed it enormously. And if you want a good read, well, you've got a podcast to listen to or a YouTube to look at here in Australia or wherever it might be. And there's a great read there in that book as well. Matthew, I really appreciate your time. It's been a lot of fun. Sure has. Thank you, sir. I quite enjoyed it. I hope to do it again. Well, maybe we can do it in Australia sometime. You know, Fair we can, we'll... Okay. <laughs> All the best. All right. You as well now. Thank you. You've been listening to John Anderson Direct. For further content, visit johnanderson.net.au. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.